Greg Weimer and Jim Wouting, a relationship 26 years in the making, and we're just getting started. Imagine that. I'm Greg Weimer. Welcome to the Confluence Financial Partners Podcast. And today I have the privilege of having a conversation with my longtime friend and partner, Jim Wouting. Thanks, Greg. Do you remember the first time we sat down and started talking about Confluence? And I guess we didn't know the name of it then. We just knew we wanted to create something special. Do you remember that? I do. So here's what will be interesting. I want to hear what you remember from that, from, that, uh, from that day. And I'll give you my, what, I, what I remember. When we got to talking, one of the things you said was, wouldn't it be cool if um, we could create a firm that looked at things and did things significantly different from the rest of the industry. And um, that was the very beginning of us putting our heads together to come up with, as you just said, the creation of Confluence before it had a name. My, my recollection is very, very similar to that. I, um, I didn't enjoy being retired, and, and I think like you, Jim, neither of us are planning on being retired anytime soon, and we just love what we do. Um, I certainly didn't like it, um, and knew that we wanted to, I wanted to create something different in the firm that created a new standard. And uh, the reason I wanted to have lunch with you that day was, um, as, as, as I've mentioned before to, to many, uh, Jim was my financial advisor. And so I just really, really respected Jim. And, he, and so when I wanted to open up a firm that treated people differently, I wanted Jim to know about that. And we decided quickly, right? I remember I remember like we shook hands and we were done and we were partners and moving forward in days, not weeks. What's interesting, I remember, though, also, we didn't spend too much time on financially. We we certainly are partners, but we just trusted each other. And um, so now it's curious. We both five and a half years ago wanted to create something different. What do you think? Like, I'd be curious from your perspective, what worked really well? And then equally important, where do you think we need the most work to continue on our quest to create a unique firm? If, if we want to continue to have a unique firm is we need to continue to grow and evolve. And when I say grow, I don't necessarily just mean grow the number of clients we serve or, or grow the revenues that are produced. I, I mean grow in what we offer to our clients. And so um, one of the things that I think has worked very well is the way we truly look at a client situation first. We don't have any interest in pushing a certain product or, or, or providing something to a client that isn't, in, in our opinions at least, uh, truly in their very best interest. And I think we've done a good job of creating a process um, in, in, uh, where the client does come first and where the um, portfolios in the plans are all about what's important to the client. And I think we do um, a good job of really digging in with our clients and trying to help them think beyond just, hey, what age do you want to retire? And, and think about other things that are important to them, their life and their legacy, and what we can do to help there. Yeah, you know, there, there's, there's, there's multiple times in a week, and I'm sure you feel the same way, where you think, I wish our clients were here to see the work we're doing for them. One of the things that just popped into my mind as you were saying that, um, why don't you explain when we review a client's plan, 
how the entire team comes together to look at that plan and try to add massive value. So we were doing on Fridays, just at now the Tuesday meeting. Why don't you explain like what we do in that meeting? So um, I think we have in total now about nine people on our team. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think we bring to our clients isn't just uh, the expertise that Greg or I might have. Uh, it's the expertise that all nine of the people on our team have. And although a client might meet individually with one or two members of the team, um, we do review the client's plan and portfolio together as a team. Um, and so we literally sit down and we put on our um, big screen um, the client's situation and their plan. And then we let everybody in the room really kind of try to poke holes in it. And the, whoever knows the client the best, the, the, the lead person um, for that client, the lead advisor, will take everybody through their situation and describe what you know the, the goals and objectives are and then show the plan in detail and the portfolio. And we get insights um, from not just the person who owns that relationship, but from everybody else on our team. And one of the things that I think that really brings uh, value to the client is you do get a bunch of other perspectives. There's also sometimes, and, and, and literally in a meeting last week, I went over this with a client and they, I think, really appreciated this. I said, you and I have been working together 25 years. There could be some things I totally um, have a blind spot towards or just kind of take for granted because I feel like I know you so well. Somebody new who looks at that situation might be able to very quickly identify, hey, why didn't you do this or, or have you ever thought about it this way? And so we think there's a lot of value uh, in having fresh perspectives and different people um, look at all of our clients. Yeah, and you and I have been around a long time and we tend to think similarly, but on our team we have we have some CFPs, we have a CPA, we have people that just come at it from a different perspective, which I agree is totally is, is very, very helpful. It's interesting. Maybe it would be helpful also. I, I will bookend that a little bit for you. Like so where, where we came up with the idea of all working together on the client instead of working separately on the client, it, it's, it's a, sounds like a subtle difference, but it's different. A lot of firms work separately on the same client. So you get 20 years of experience five different times. With us, you get 100 years of experience because we're all in the same room together working on the client. So, um, so that came from we were talking to someone that is in charge of a cardiac um, department at a hospital. And their results went from a 97% success ratio to a 99% success ratio, which that's, that's, a, that's a lot of improved lives based on that success ratio. And so, so I, I actually asked the guy, I said, how'd you do it, physician? He said, we, we broke down all the raw walls, we started to collaborate, and we put the patient at the center. And we all get into the same room and talk about the client, or talk about the patient. And he said, that's really improved our results. He also said some other things about diversity that we're working on also. And so that's what we decided to do. We all get into the same room and we talk about the client so we benefit from all the different perspectives. In addition, at the end, the final question becomes at the end of that meeting, how are we producing massive value for the client? And if we aren't really adding massive value, you know, we want to make sure that 
well, we got to add a massive value, right? Or, or, or we're missing something because if we're doing their plans and we're figuring out their goals, we should be developing massive value. Um, Jim, another thing we do that that you're obviously very, very instrumental in, and, and you know, we, is um, we both sit on the investment advisory committee. I think that's been a great addition to our firm. Um, I don't, I don't really remember how that started. I think like a couple of us sat in, in an office and started talking about it, and it evolved. Why don't you explain to everybody the investment advisory committee and how it goes about putting objective-based portfolios together? Okay, um, I agree with you. I think that's been a um, really valuable addition um, to our firm and uh, in, in what we're able to provide our clients. Um, I think it started with us realizing that um, the best way for us to manage portfolios, if we have 350 clients, wasn't to have 350 different portfolios. Um, Sometimes it sounds really great to say, I have a portfolio just customized precisely for you. But at the end of the day, if you're doing 350 customized portfolios, that's really an impossible task to maintain those and really be on top of all 350. And so what we tried to do um, was create our portfolios and and what we call objective-based portfolios. Now, we still have a decent number in the 30s, um, but but a lot more manageable, especially when you consider that there's six people that are on the investment committee. And so we created these portfolios for the various objectives that our clients might have. So for instance, you know, a portfolio that's growth oriented um, at one end of the spectrum, a portfolio that's purely income oriented at the other end of the spectrum. And we review the components uh, of these portfolios in great detail, but we don't necessarily change the components with great regularity. And when you think that through, I think that's what most clients would would really want, and that is good long-term managers um, that we have tremendous confidence in their ability to produce very solid investment result, results over the long term. We need to do a lot of due diligence to make sure that those managers that are in the portfolios um, are going to produce good results and then give them the time. So we monitor uh, the results of the portfolio, excuse me, of the portfolios and the components, uh, and make sure we understand when one might be underperforming or outperforming, and make sure that that is as expected. We would replace a portfolio manager uh, only when there's something going on that gives us less confidence in the ability for them to produce the results that we'd expect. For instance, if a portfolio manager literally uh, retires and whomever is taking over is one that we don't have as much confidence in. Or, or for example, I reject, like right now there's two decent-sized mutual fund companies. The, the one just bought the other one. Anybody that's been through a merger would have to admit the world's changed for those companies. If they think like what they did in the past is going to be the same, mergers change worlds. So... In our world, we do you agree we would probably we would probably think about no longer holding those investments based on that merger. It would be something we would think about. Fair, definitely. One of the things that is a criteria for us when we do select the managers is the ownership 
um, or ownership structure of the firm. It, you might look at that and say, well, why is that important? Well, we really want to be invested for the long term. And the way a firm manages money is absolutely influenced by the ownership of that firm. Jim, why don't you talk a little bit um, about how careful we are not to do quid pro quo? And so we, you got it? Yep. Yep. Um, so in, in our industry, one of the things that um, there is a lot of uh, is, you know, the offer from a, from a money manager or a mutual fund manager, hey, let me take you golfing, let me take you, um, come, come out to uh, Los Angeles and visit us, and we're going to have some fun going to the Dodgers games too, that kind of thing. And one of the things that we feel is really, really important is we're here to manage our clients' um, long-term investment portfolios, their hard-earned money. And any decision we make regarding a money manager or a mutual fund manager is purely about, is this the best fit for our client? So at the end of the day, we, we definitely do our due diligence. But when we fly to Santa Fe, New Mexico or Los Angeles or New York City, we pay to fly there. And we're perfectly happy to do that. You know, usually the mutual fund company will offer to reimburse us and we tell them, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, we'd rather be 100% confident that there's no conflict of interest in the slightest bet. So when we have a mutual fund manager or a, a mutual fund company come into our office to make a presentation to us, um, we buy lunch. They don't. Um, and, you know, and, and you know this, Greg, that uh, lots of times the mutual fund manager are pretty shocked. They're because, startled by it. You know, yeah. Because that's a different way of doing it. But as, as, as minor thing as buying lunch is, we still just feel better about no, you know, no way we're going to favor one over another based on anything other than what we, do we think is the best for our clients. Yeah, and we've been, more, we've been very consistent that across the firm. And I, and I remember, oddly enough, now that you're telling that story um, and telling how we're so unbiased, I remember 30 years ago or 25 years ago, when you were with a different firm and there was someone that came into your office from a money, a money manager saying, and I don't know if you remember this or not, if you put X amount of, yeah, you're nodding, yeah, if you put X amount of money with us, we'll also refer you this amount of dollars. And I remember back then how impressed I was at how appalled you were by that concept. And, uh, and so we've stayed very consistent to that. And just that subconsciously, we don't want any quid pro quo. People saved a lot of time for their money. Um, a lot of, they've saved their money for a long time, and we want to make sure we're investing for the right reasons. You know, we're, we're fortunate to have a great team at Confluence. If, if, I, if I were listening to this podcast, one of the things I'd want to know about is how do you communicate? So, like, I, you know, you may want to touch on how you and I communicate and, like, maybe the times of day and the, and the days of the week, but um, also just how we communicate with our associates. Because yes. collaboration is key. Right. It absolutely is. And um, one of the things I think we do a really good job of is our communication. So Greg and I are alike in maybe too many ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both get up pretty early in the morning. And um, uh, literally when I I get up and I go running, when I come back from running, I usually have two texts on my phone from Greg. And that when I'm finished running, it's like 530 in the morning. So. <laughs> Um, if I don't hear you from you for seven, I, I'm like calling 911. I'm worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah, we definitely uh, communicate quite a bit before uh, at least most people's workday begins. Um, but 
you know, one of the times we both agree that we get a lot done is in that hour and a half or so before seven o'clock in the morning. With our team, we have formal communications. Uh, so we have a team meeting uh, every Tuesday um, that usually lasts about an hour. And we go through, um, you know, what's going on that week, who's coming in, um, and we review a few client um, portfolios and plans after that meeting. So that's an additional meeting that we have. We also have a group text uh, with our team. And, you know, it, it's unusual if we don't have a text going out during the weekend and just touch base with them on what's going on. Or if somebody listened to a really good podcast, um, they'll share that with the team and send that out. And so, you know, one of the things that's great about the technologies that we have today is it can keep you way more connected um, than, than w what we could do before. So we think it's really important to kind of always be on. Um, we, we love our jobs, but our jobs are the kind of thing that we're thinking about pretty much all the time. And I don't say that like not at all with any conceit. Um, it, it's awesome to be able to work with the people I work with, both from my peers here at Confluence and the many clients we work with. And it's just a fun thing to be able to think about pretty much all the time. Yeah. We, we talk about we just live. We don't work and we don't play. We just live. So you never really know if we're working or playing because we're with our clients. Our clients, a lot of our clients are our friends. And, and Jim and I, we, we work together. We tend to work out at the same time. We play a lot of golf together. So um, we are always thinking about the business and we're always enjoying it. So it's, yep. we, we, we just live. But, you know, thinking about communicating with our team, it's remarkable. It's interesting we're doing this on a podcast, but it's remarkable how many times our associates are sending us podcasts to listen to. Hey, you should listen to this one. Now, I do appreciate if it's a 40-minute podcast they say, listen to minutes 20 to 25, and we can just get in on that one. But, um, but, but the sharing of ideas of podcasts, and I know you sent me an article this week, and it's just a really, really fluid team, which is, I think, unusual for most firms. And I was thinking about it as you were answering. This morning, I talked to three of our advisors before I got to work, Nathan, Chuck, and Joe. So before I got to work, tonight at dinner, I'll be having uh, dinner with Amy and Kurt with my wife, Lori. So it's, it is, it is, a, it is a team that communicates consistently throughout the day. Why don't you dig a little bit deeper and talk about some of the things that we put in a financial plan and some of the goals that clients may have that are a little bit out of the norm. I, I do think our industry kind of over the course of time has um, put such a huge emphasis on, okay, what, what the finish line is retirement and you're going to need this much money. You know, we try to do more than that and get, get clients to think a little bit more about, um, hey, are there things that I want to do with my family now? <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe, imagine that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe you're 50 and retirement for you might be 15 years away or 20 years away. And what we try to do is say, um, OK, well, let's plan for not just 15 or 20 years down the road, but what's going on now? I think one of the things that we sometimes get clients to think a little broader and, uh, you know, causes them to say, I'm going to have to get, you know, go back and think about this a little bit more is um, let's think about your life in terms of how much fun do I want to have with my family? And are there special times that I want to make sure that I have with my family? 
And lots of times we'll say, well, if you wanted to go on this nice vacation uh, every year between now and retirement, are you willing to work two and a half years longer? Because that, that's what that might cost you. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what we, we really want to make sure clients um, are able to do is kind of see, all right, you know, could I have like a much more enjoyable time while I'm working here as opposed to just putting everything about ah, when I finally retire in the plans? We'll put, you know, some very detailed uh, objectives and timeframes in there. So, for instance, if uh, you if it's important to you that your two granddaughters have uh, college education all paid for, we'll, we'll help you figure that out and make sure that we can earmark money. Uh, for your granddaughter's college education. And again, not everybody is only about retiring. And you know, we want to make sure that our clients are, are living their best lives that they can live, not just in retirement, but even now. And that's the fun of the job, right? I mean, just think about if we are able to, working with the clients, making sure their portfolio is not just an accumulation of investments, but that portfolio can actually help provide for a moment annually at Thanksgiving at Hilton Head with them and their whole family. That's that's a moment that's special. Or um, creating a legacy of education. I think you'll agree that's the fun of the job. Absolutely. But, but so many times it's not discussed. So many times in our industry that, that you don't get to that level of detail about what people really care about. And I'll tell you what's fun. You can see in their face. Like if we're sitting across the table from clients and you start talking about, like you're mentioning, Jim, education for the granddaughters, you'll see their face light up. You know that's, you know, you, you know you hit on something that's really important to them and absolutely should be in the plan. Back to the focus groups consistent with goals. Do you remember we like one of the things as we were as we were asking our clients some questions, they talked about their children. Yep. And and you just want to expand on that because um, we do that and it and it, it was interesting how how much clients wanted us to participate in their families. Yeah, and um, I think I think a lot of clients um, maybe maybe struggle a little bit. A lot of people, period, struggle a little bit with uh, talking to their adult children or even their college age kids that are maybe not quite adults. Uh, full adults yet, but uh, about, um, you know, investing or about uh, what they might inherit someday um, and trying to get them on the right track. And so what we've done with with a fair amount of our um, our client families is had meetings um, to help discuss that and to help uh, get the young adults off to a great start in, in, the, in, in the investing. Um, and lots of times, that's just simply helping them with their first job and their 401k and making sure we have that set up appropriately. And that quite often evolves into more. And it evolves sometimes into a, a family setting up a charitable foundation and the kids participating in that. You know, down the road, sometimes it takes a little bit of time uh, for the parents to be comfortable sharing uh, with their children hey, here's what we have and here's what you might inherit someday. And you know, I think that one of the th- one of the reasons so many people, when they inherit money, don't do a great job of taking care of that, is because it's a surprise to them, and they never knew that 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 was going to be you know coming to them. And if if a parent isn't able or doesn't share their expectations with their child, um, you know, it's just it's usually not going to work as well. We did get a lot of 
comments around that saying that would be great. We'd like to do that more often. Um, and so that's one of the things, you know, when Greg, when we talk about adding massive value, uh, that, that, that might be one area, if you really think about it, where we can add long term, truly massive value. Well, well, when you look at the statistics, right, 70 percent of wealth is squandered in the second generation, 90 percent by the third generation in the third generation. So, so mathematically, we would like to help that chain, bend the curve on those numbers. But also, I think so many of us save the, save have a have an estate, and we assume our children are going to receive it as a blessing, instead of viewing it as a burden. And unfortunately, what we both see, if it's not handled well structurally, and from a communication standpoint, it ends up being a burden. And it ends up being a stressful thing that could break apart a family, not bring it together. It would be massive value if we could if we could change the numbers and the statistics and change the view about how the assets are received. And I agree with you, communication is a very, very big part of that. So it's been 26 years we've known each other. Assuming we're healthy, where are we in 26 years? Whew. So this probably surprises most people, but, but I can honestly say that I hope 26 years from now, I'm still with Confluence. It would be cool if there were a few associates in Confluence that had the same last name as Greg and I uh, 26 years from now. But we just hired one of those. We, we did. And uh, yes, and it's, it's a great addition to have Gregory, uh, Greg's oldest, on our team now. I'm, I'm pretty confident that 26 years from now, uh, we'll be offering to our clients everything that we're offering today and more. And um, very hopeful that 26 years from now, um, we'll, we'll have a lot of current young adult children that will be dealing with their children. Looking forward to the next 26 years. Yeah, it's interesting. We talk about, um, there's different business models, right? I mean, you could, we could certainly build this, and one model would be build it and sell it in 10 years, and we have zero interest in that. And it's actually somewhat easy if that's your model. Um, Jim and I talk a lot about the decisions we're making today. Is it the right decision, not for the next 10, but for the next 50 years? So we're building this for the next generation. And that, to me, and I think just looking at your face, how you answer that to you, is really rewarding a lot of fun. So the next 26 years, um, I'm, certainly, I'm certainly looking forward to it also. And I plan on being at Confluence. I just heard a baby cry. Is that amazing to me? That's cool. We have, so we have babies crying. We have construction in the background. you got to love that. So what are we missing? Is there anything that you'd like to discuss as we just, uh, anything we missed that you wish I would have asked you? I think sometimes people um, looked to us, even even people that have known us for a long time, and they might say, where do you think the market's going to go? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the longer I've done this, and I think you feel similarly, um, the more I'm convinced that in the short term, and when I say short term, meaning 18 months or so, uh, nobody can give you a consistently accurate portrayal of what the market's going to do. Um, yeah, I, I had someone ask me, like, do you think this is a good entry point to the market? So I had to think of like a really nice way to say, how the hell would I know? Because, so, <laughs> you know, when at 30, I started, uh, holy moly, I started 33, 33 years ago. If you'd have asked me that 33 years ago, I knew. Like now I know enough to know I don't know. So, but it's still interesting how people think 
they can predict the market in the short run. And I'm not, I'm not sure the value of that if they know where it's going in the long run, right? But right. you still have people ask you that all the time. It's interesting to me. Yep. Why don't you talk about risk? Because now that you brought up the market, how when we work with clients, the idea of risk is somewhat misunderstood. It, it, it definitely is. And, and I would have to say that our industry has done more to contribute to that mm-hmm. um, than help that. And so um, the way risk is defined by our industry is in the volatility of the prices of securities. And I would say most people, when they think of true risk, it's about investing and not being able to accomplish their goals of investing. In other words, permanent loss of money um, or not having the income that they need when they need it. And fluctuations, not loss. Exactly. And so one of the things that, you know, we, we say quite often to clients, we'll, we'll show them what the market drop was from the peak in October of 07 through the, the you know, trough in March of 2009. But we always remind them, you didn't lose that money if you didn't sell out in March of 2009. By the way, Jim's a guy, if you want to know what the market did any time in the last 200 years, you can give him the date and he'll give you like the number. Huh. <laughs> Maybe not quite, not but quite. the year. Maybe not the day, <laughs> but the year. Well, and, but but I do. I, I think that it's really important to to have a good understanding of what risk really is, and it it really shouldn't be for most people fluctuation in prices. And obviously, if if someone has a two year goal that they're going to need uh, money in, in two years, it's not an appropriate investment to have that you know sitting in a bunch of stocks. Now, that's totally different from if I'm retired and I have some stocks, I'm going to live off of the return I'm getting from the stocks. But what we do for all of our retired clients is build a strategy that protects them from the short-term, temporary declines in equity prices. Hey, why don't you why don't you dig on that a little bit? So, uh, dig, dig in that a little bit because you're you're starting to go into the bucket strategy, right? Yep. Which um, because managing money for someone that's accumulating money is a whole different scenario than managing money for someone that's in the distribution phase of their life. Right. So why don't you share a little bit about how we manage money for someone in the distribution phase of their life? Right. Um, and, and, and that is a little bit even more uh, significant now in such a, such a low interest rate right. environment. Right. So, you know, back uh, when you started, Greg, you could have a 50-50 portfolio, half in bonds, half in stocks. And your bonds would be making like. Oh, when I started out, I was I was I was investing people in municipal bonds earning ten percent. Right. And if they if if they were at nine and a half, they wanted to wait until they got back to ten percent muni bonds. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a lot harder to you know get someone to buy into equities when the competition was ten percent than today yeah. when the competition's like two. Um, but in today's environment, what what that kind of says is you have to have a huge pile of money if. Um, the rate of return from bonds is going to be everything you need. So for almost all of our clients, when they're retired, uh, they need to still hold a significant portion of their portfolio in equities. Having a significant portion of your portfolio in equities entails living off what we would call a systematic withdrawal from that portfolio. So if you have a million dollars in equities and you're uh, going to live off of $40,000, uh, you're going to need a little bit more than the dividends. And so what we figure out for each one of our clients is to how to have a customized, what we call bucket strategy, so that you can invest 
everything in equities and keep it long term. And the part that needs to be in the quote unquote bucket, which is cash and very short term bonds, is the amount that you would need if we had a 20 percent or more decline in the market, stock market that is, that you could then pull out of that short term bucket and say, okay, I don't have to worry about I'm taking money out of my stocks because I'm not anymore until they come back. And so uh, we, we figured that out for each one of our clients. And like I said, that is actually something that's customized because it's very specific to, to each person's um, very different situation. And it is something that we had to, uh, you know, implement fairly recently. And on Christmas Eve, the market was down 20% from where it was in September. And so for the first four months of this year, for our retired clients, we were, we were using the bucket strategy. But again, that's something that we build to help offset the quote-unquote risk of the price volatility in inequities. That allows our retired clients to still be long-term investors in equities. Yeah, if, if someone's listening to this in five years, they're like Christmas Eve. I wonder when that was. It was 2018, so it was last year. This is 2019. Jim, in the past, or in, the, in, the, in this, in this, in this uh, conversation, We've had we've we've mentioned the focus groups a couple times, which I think is a little unique. Uh, so for though I, I realize now, just replaying in my mind our conversation, we're saying focus groups like the listeners may know what that is. So could you explain to them um, what we do and why we do them? Yeah. So I, I guess we started this last year where we thought it would be a good idea if we could get together relatively small groups of clients, um, you know, in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty clients. Um, and get together in the evening, have a have a short cocktail hour where we can, you know, spend a little bit of social time, and then sit down for dinner, and just kind of begin a conversation about, um, hey, what should we be doing with you? And uh, asking our clients for their honest opinions of what are we doing well, what are we doing not so well, how could we get better, um, what are the things that maybe we haven't thought of that would be. Uh, good for us to be able to offer to our clients. And I think I was at least, and I think maybe you were, when we first started this, we were a little bit apprehensive about, all right, how's this going to go? And it's been super um, easy because when we sit down with our great clients, they're super willing to share with us their thoughts uh, and, and, you know, where we could improve and what we're doing right. And, um, it's, it's, it's been extremely helpful, I think, uh, for what we need to focus on and how we need to build and grow. I agree with you. One of the concerns when we had those is, are we going to hear crickets, right? And that right. we work in and, and our clients um, have been just, just so cooperative in, in joining us in this journey with the firm and want to be active participants in helping us build it, which we're, we're extremely grateful for. Um, but not only do we have focus groups with our clients, you know, why don't you explain um, the meeting we have? I think it's next Friday with all of our associates and our offsite and how we how we think about implementing uh, implementing uh, some of those ideas and thinking outside the box and the services we're about to provide for our clients. So, uh, right. One of the things that we've been doing for a few years now is uh, we'll get the whole firm together and. Um, have a couple of times a year um, and take a full business day and just dedicate it to um, focusing on the things that Confluence 
is doing for their clients and trying to make it better. You know, we've, we, we're up to about 30 people or so that'll be in that meeting. And um, it takes some time to prepare and get ready for that meeting. But it's uh, really a meeting that if I were a client, I'd feel really good about the fact that, hey, these guys are taking a whole day to go away and s- figure out how they can do things better. Um, and one of the things I, th- I think that we always have is a real good focus on con- constant improvement. Again, I don't say that with conceit. I, I'm really more humble about the fact that we feel honored to be able to work with as many clients as we work with. But we absolutely feel like if we're not doing a better job next year than we are this year. Then or tomorrow versus today. That's right. It's just not right. Yeah. Um, so, so to give you an idea of some of the things we'll be discussing next week on uh, uh, next Friday on behalf of the client. So, that, so one, I'll give you three. Um, one, we have a we have a group coming in to help us do a better job of figuring out what the real values of our clients are around investing. So, just asking better questions so the whole organization will participate in that. From a philanthropy standpoint, we have someone come in and talk to us about donor advice funds just to make sure that we are absolutely doing the best job possible for our clients on donors donor advice fund. The one I'm actually looking forward to, Jim, is when, when we, we're going to break our organization up into two groups. The one group will continue to be employed by Confluence. The other group was just terminated by Confluence. The group that was terminated, how are you competing against Confluence? And Confluence, how are you going to continue to evolve? And come at it from that standpoint to make sure we truly are creating a different standard. That'll be fun. I, th- I would think you and I will be in different groups. You'll be the one getting fired. I'll stay with <laughs> Confluence. And we'll, <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll see how that goes. Jim, it is, it was a, it's been an awesome 26 years, and more specifically, the last five and a half. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to the next 26, creating a new standard. And our promise to the listeners is very clear. We are going to work as hard as we can to continue to earn your business. And we promise to work as hard as we can to never let you down. Thank you so much for listening. You can find this and other episodes of our podcast at confluencefp.com dot com slash podcasts.